Now, Paul had stressed, remember, in the earlier part of chapter 5, concerning the commendation that the, that the false teachers were talking about. Remember, they came with commendation from people. Paul says, well, I don't need commendations from other people because you are my commendation. And I don't deal with the outward appearance, I deal only with the inner. And that's when he brought in the concept of the new covenant that we are under today. So he stressed that the commendation that the Corinthians should have been looking for in their ministers was not external things, not external letters, not self-recommendation or religious credentials by man, but rather they should be looking for the internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. He talks about the law being written on our hearts and, some so, and so on. Um, but now, in this passage here, he also says now that there are some external things that we can look at to determine the sincerity or the authenticity of a genuine preacher of the gospel. And you will see that they are quite different from what we think about along those lines today. And Paul underlines this passage in chapter 6 and verse 3 by emphasizing the fact that the major authenticating marks of his ministry and the genuineness of that ministry was his suffering as a servant of Christ and the sustaining enablement of God to carry on that ministry. He suffered all kinds of things, all kinds of problems, as we'll see in a moment, but that did not deter him because he drew on the enabling power of God. And he is implying that the Corinthians should look for the same things in the life of a person who professes to be a pastor or a teacher of the word. He is saying, here are some valid credentials for the servants of God. Now, as he explains here in these verses, they have much to tell us about the ministers that we should support today as well. It reflects on how we should respond to people who say, like me, that we are called of God to preach the gospel. Now, amazingly, Paul was more concerned about defending the ministry under the new covenant than he was in defending himself. He was more concerned with defending his ministry under the new covenant than he was of defending his own reputation. Now, to that end, he very carefully avoided any kind of behavior that would jeopardize or defame his ministry as Christ's ambassador. His life was committed to avoiding anything that would cast any kind of negative aspersions aspersions on the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what he is here is he says that he is insinuating that, that this was the kind of commendation the Corinthians should have required for these teachers who came in. Not human credentials, but divine credentials. Now in this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 3 to 10 especially tonight, Paul lists nine types of trials he faced, and he does so in three sets of in three sets of three. In other words, three sets of one kind of um, one kind of trial or problem, and he totals nine. Three sets of three each. Let's take a look at them and see how they speak to us today. Notice verse four. 
in everything we do. Notice now, first he says he is in Christ. That's who he is. Now he's going to tell what he does as a result of being in Christ under the new covenant as a new creation. In everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. Notice that. Everything that we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. He was careful to show that he was representing the true God. Now he begins his listing of these nine trials. First he says, we patiently endure, number one, troubles and hardships, number two, and calamities of every kind. Those are three different types of trials. Troubles, hardships, and notice he says calamities of every kind. It's a wide open thing here. He, in, he um, endures them patiently, he says. Notice, we patiently endure these trials. Now this is exactly what James says makes a person mature or perfect. Will somebody turn to James chapter 1 and read verses 2 through 4 for me? Paul is demonstrating the, true, the truthfulness of what James is saying, while at the same time putting himself as an example of what he has to be done in order to be perfect and mature. James chapter 1 verses 2 to 4. Somebody read it. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I see this is exactly what Paul is saying is happening in life. Notice, we patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. James talks about trials of various or variated kinds. The same thing here. So Paul is an example of what James is teaching. So that's the first set. Troubles, hardships, and calamities. Now remember, he's showing this as examples of things that authenticate a true minister of Jesus Christ. Then he gives a second set. He says in verse 5, we have been beaten, we've been put in prison, and we have faced angry mobs. In other words, he's talking now about his being persecuted by people. Here, he was talking about the troubles of every kind. Now he's talking about persecution by people. We have been beaten, we've been put in prison, we have faced angry mobs. All of that has to do with the way people responded to his ministry. Now, you remember in, when we first started this, Paul talks about the offense of the gospel. That when we preach the gospel and we focus on the blood of Jesus Christ, people are going to be offended with that. Paul knew that. And Paul still preached it. He didn't let up on it just because people didn't want to hear it. By the way, I heard an amazing thing from a pastor the other day coming over on one of our stations. He said, today we're not supposed to preach the blood. Say, nobody want to hear about bloody stuff and crucifixion. All they want to hear is about the kingdom. So they don't preach. He says, we're not supposed to preach the blood today. Only the kingdom. Isn't that amazing? And people get up and clap and say, Amen, Hallelujah. It's just amazing. But Paul preached the blood. 
even though he knew it would cause offense. Now there's a third set of things he put here. He says, we worked to exhaustion. We endured sleepless nights and we have gone without food. Now he's talking about personal problems he's faced. Working to exhaustion, enduring sleepless nights, and going without food, hungry. Now, how do these things match up with today's emphasis by some pastors and teachers that they are not to suffer hardships, but in fact just the opposite? They are to be treated as kings. They're supposed to have everything just right. Everything is the best, the best cars, the best homes, everything. Did you think Paul is able to endorse that kind of a thing here? No, not at all. He says he worked to exhaustion, he endured sleepless nights, and he's gone without food. These are marks of a genuine preacher, pastor, if you want, servant of Christ. Those were some of the things he mentioned then, the nine trials, the types of trials that he did. Then he mentioned nine inequalities virtues in his life. Notice what he says in verse 6. We prove ourselves by our purity. He's talking to the Corinthians now. He's saying, here is how we validate our validity and our authenticity as an apostle. First, by our purity, our holiness of life, our way of life. He's saying, examine my life. Can you see any lack of holiness on my part or impure living. Look at my life personally. Look at my life with my friends. I prove myself as a true minister by the kind of life of purity that I live. Holiness in life. And then he says he proves ourselves by our understanding. Now in context he's talking about the understanding of God's word and how he's dealing now with a new covenant with a new people. A new people who will be made one in Christ, a new man. He understands that. In fact, in Ephesians 3, he explains the fact that the truth of the church was revealed especially to him in order to be taught to the churches. But he had an understanding of that. And then he goes on, he says, our patience. This is what he talked at the beginning. Paul was a patient man. He was a man who endured. He was a man who was able to wait on God. Then he says our kindness. We prove ourselves by our kindness. And then he says we prove ourselves by the Holy Spirit within us. In other words, he's saying that his inner strength came from the power of the Spirit of God. Now, someone turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, and you'll see where Paul deals with this as well. He's trying to say here now that he was able to authenticate his ministry by, by drawing upon the power that indwells him, the power of the Spirit of God. Somebody read Colossians 1, verse 28 and 29. Claim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. That's what Paul is saying here, that he proves himself as being a true minister through the power of the Spirit in him that causes him to work so tirelessly, as he mentions about work to exhaustion, even going without food. 
It's because he's able to dwell upon, or he's able to draw upon the indwelling Holy Spirit. And then he goes on, and by our sincere love, not hypocritical, not just a love that is spoken above, but sincere, sincere, completely true and honest and so on. Now listen to what he says in verse 7. Now remember, he's talking about the marks of a true minister of the gospel under the new covenant. We faithfully preach the truth. Notice the word, faithfully preach or proclaim the truth. That's the word of God's. And then he says, God's power is working in us. It's through that indwelling spirit of God that he gets the power to preach the truth of God's word and to remain faithful. He preached the truth. God gave the increase is the idea. In other words, he is not the one who is responsible for the product. He's just responsible for the proclaiming of the truth. God does the rest through the Spirit of God. And of course, that's the same truth that we rest upon here. My calling, I believe, is to teach the Word of God. Teach it in a way that you're able to understand it. That's my calling. That's my purpose for living. That's how I seek to glorify Christ. If I fall short of that, I'm not faithful. If I just preach the preach, if I just make noise and don't teach you the word, I'm not being a faithful preacher. I'm not an authentic preacher. Someone has said, and I was trying to remember so I could give his name, but I don't remember who said it. He says, today what is happening, the text is being covered by the interpretation. In other words, we have people who are only teaching their own thing and not teaching the word of God. I try to run away from that. And that's why I'm open to correction of anything you hear me teach that you think is contrary to the word of God. It's very important that we get the truth. And my friends, you heard me say it here before, that's not the emphasis around as we, it should be today. Not all the preachers are preaching the word of God <clears throat> faithfully. Many are preaching. Now what has happened, and they're finding out more and more, a lot of preachers today who don't even study, they just go to the internet and get the sermons and preach it. In fact, I mentioned before that a very prominent preacher in New York was fired the other day because his secretary found out that he was preaching somebody else's sermon without saying it was somebody else's sermon. And he was fired because of that. But you know what? Because of his popularity, he was hired almost immediately by another church to preach the same kinds of sermons. Now, notice he goes on. Here's another amazing. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Isn't that great? That's a great statement. The weapons of righteousness. I love that. In the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. In other words, he was covered by righteousness all around. No matter where he went, he was covered in righteousness all the time. All that he did, all that he said, sprung from the righteousness that he himself had gotten from Jesus Christ. I'm sure he would include in here the full armor of God. Paul's weapons of righteousness was always available to him. That's why he could stand against the enemy. All of the attacks, all of the criticisms. He's going to talk about that in a moment as well. 
Why? Because he was drawing upon the righteousness of God in his life. And as a result of that, everything he did, left down or right-handed, coming from the left, coming from the right, whatever it is, he was able to meet it with the righteousness of God. So what he's saying here is, he proclaimed the gospel in truth, with sincerity, and he relied on the power of God and the person of the Spirit to produce the results. And by relying on God, Paul was completely equipped with weapons of righteousness to cope with the attacks of the accusers, the adversary, from any quarter, no matter where it came from. Paul was completely equipped with the weapons of righteousness to cope with all of the attacks because of his reliance upon God. Now, following this, Paul gives nine paradoxes, nine pairs of paradoxes, if you want, in verses 8 and 10. First, he talks about the conflicting responses to his ministry. Now, you know, it's amazing when you see what Paul is doing here. Everybody talks about Paul being a, the, one of the, the most uh, uh, amazing man, man of God, popular in the, Old Testament, in the New Testament, preaching throughout the country and so on. But Paul didn't have an easy life. Not everybody accepted him. A lot of the people rejected him and criticized him on an ongoing basis. Notice, he says, we serve God whether people honor us or despise us. I know that's quite a thing because some of us, if we don't get the applause, the recognition, we're not going to do anything else. We don't want to work anymore. Now, this is not only true for preachers, of course, but for all of God's people. If you only do something to get applause, to get honors, and you are afraid of getting criticized when you're doing things for God, then you're not going to be faithful here. So he was not looking for applause, but he was looking to be faithful. Amen? Then he goes on, he says, whether they slander us or praise us. Whether they, first he said, whether they honor us or despise us. Now he says, whether they slander us or praise us, he still is going to preach the truth because he's not preaching to get applause or to get recognition or to get honest. He's preaching the word to be faithful to the God who called him. Then he says, we are honest, but they call us impostors. In other words, we are honest, we are true, we are sincere, but people always question our motive for doing good. He's persecuted for doing good, following the steps of his master, as we have in First Peter 2. Then in verse 9, we are ignored. Now in the context this means in the sense of people not acknowledging him or his ministry. We are ignored even though we are well known. Yes, they know him. His, his name is all over the place. But still, they do not acknowledge his ministry. You know, it has a saying that a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country. We could also say a prophet is not without honor, save in his own church, in his own assembly. It's amazing how people in the local church would give more honor and deference to visiting pastors or preachers than they would to the men who've been serving amongst them for years. We become old hat. We become, you know, just 
what do you call us? I don't know what you call us. But the people will come in and say the same thing we've been saying for years. And all of a sudden it's new revelation. It's amazing. This is what Paul is talking about here. We are ignored even though we are well known. Then he talks about his response to opposition in verses 9 and 10. Notice what he says. We live close to death. But we are still alive. We don't give up no matter how severe the difficulty may become. Now remember, Paul is giving these characteristics, these traits here, as marks of a true minister of the gospel. Notice now, we have been beaten, but we have not been killed. The idea is we get up to get beaten again. And he can get beaten until he dies, is the idea. Now notice this verse 10. Our hearts ache. Sure, because of all of this going on, does Paul, does it affect Paul? Yes, it does. He says, our hearts ache. But notice this, we always have joy. He doesn't say we always have happiness. But he says we always have joy. And as you know, happiness and joy are two different things. Is that right? Happiness depends upon the happenings, the events around us. Now, if you look at what Paul is having here, if happenings depend upon experiences, Paul would never be a happy man. But the joy that he could experience in spite of all of these happenings, he could because he realized he was faithful to his God. He lived a pure life, he was preaching the word of God, and he had patience to endure so he could be perfected. You see, God sends and allows difficulties in our lives to make us to be like him. But isn't it amazing how many of us reject problems and difficulties? The first time we have a problem come into our life, what do we ask God to do? Take it away. Paul is teaching, no, you don't do that. James teaches the same thing. You don't do that. You ask God to give you strength and faithfulness to endure under the problems, to go through it so you could become perfect and mature and become Christ-like. It's the idea of stickability. Staying under the circumstances. I remember when we were in Dallas Seminary. Um, you, I'm sure you've heard of Dr. Ah, what's his name now? Lindsay helped me. The one who is Bible teaching. Howard Hendricks. Uh, he said one time says. One of his students came to him. He says he was really down. He said pastor I can't handle anymore. I say. What happened? He says, too many circumstances has got me down. Dr. Hendricks said, he asked him, what you doing under there? You're not supposed to be under there. You're supposed to be on top of them. So I asked him, I said, now, Prof, do you sure that is right? According to what I can understand from Scripture, you have to be bear up under the circumstances, bear up under the problems. Not get out of them right away, but bear up under them. And that's what Paul is talking here. Our hearts ache, but we have joy. And then he goes on now. He shows the results of his labor in the last portion of verse 10. He says, we are poor. Now remember what this is. This is one of the most popular preachers of the Bible, of the New Testament. Does he say, I am rich? Does he preach the gospel of wealth? He says, I am poor. After all these years of preaching to starting all of these churches. He says, we are poor. He's 
talking about his other apostles as well. But, notice this, we give spiritual riches to others. See, that's where the joy comes in. Even though some will disregard what we say, some will oppose what we say, some will mock us and everything. He says, once I am preaching the truth and the power of the Spirit of God, I am giving riches of God's word to others. And although I ain't got no money, I'm making you rich. That's why he taught, he taught the people otherwise. Now he says, now this is not, uh, this is not personal here, mind you, so don't get it. I'm teaching the word here. That's why he says to his people, if someone has invested in you spiritual truths, have taught you spiritual truths, you should be open-handed and willing to give them physical. Isn't that right? That's what he says. Paul is dingling from the opposite here. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. That has to do with the word of God. Notice this, we own nothing. Man, where are the preachers of the health and wealth gospel? We own nothing. No big house, no big car, nothing like that. We own nothing, but yet we have everything. You see this, why? Because going back to this morning, he has a new perspective on life as a new creation. He's not looking at things and wealth to make him happy, to make him secure. But rather, is he faithful in preaching the word? Is he living a holy life? Is he patient in the problems and difficulties? Is he loving? Is he good? All of those things, that's where he finds his wealth. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, that's my credential that demonstrate and validate the fact that I am a true minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Powerful, isn't it? Pastor Soy, would you close for us, please? Hey. Yes, Father, we again thank you for your word tonight. It is so enlightening as we look into your word, how we as your children should live our lives. And Lord, not just to live them when we are among each other, but as we go out into the world, into the workplace, into schools, wherever we are, that we may demonstrate the difference between what it is to be just a person who doesn't know Christ and one who calls himself or herself a child of the Most Holy God. And so we just thank you again tonight for this privilege we have had to study your word together. And as we leave this place, Father, we just ask that you would go with us and bring us back again, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.